1: We thank you for tuning in to the Warning Radio program. Today, we conclude Dr. E.J. Buckhart's message, Deception, Satan is Deceiving the Church. Satan lies. He is the author of lies. So every time you hear lying come out on the media, social media, and they admit this is a lie, this is a lie, who are they being controlled by? It's Satan. Satan is a liar. God is not a liar. So that's one way you can judge people. Do they lie? Or do they tell the truth? Now the sad part about that is, is that a perpetual liar begins to believe his lies. And he thinks he's telling the truth. This is when evil becomes good, and good becomes evil. The third thought is, Satan often mixes his lies with some truth to make it more subtle and deceptive. Pastors have to be very cautious on this because they'll see a little bit of, lie, a bit of truth, they'll preach a great message of truth, let's say, but they leave out repentance. Just love and mercy and grace. Once saved, always saved. Don't worry about anything. A little bit of lies with the truth. Be careful. Satan appeals to the selfish desire of people to make sin attractive. That's an interesting one. Sin becomes attractive, and then we fall prey to it. He does this by appealing to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. An example in advertising. You want to buy a new car? What do they usually have in front of the ad? Standing next to the car is a beautiful model in a very kind of seductive way to buy this car. Deception. Lies. And number five is Satan gains success in getting people to sin. That is, to disobey God. He works through time to cause sin to seem normal to people so that it is less noticed Less restrictive and become acceptive. I can remember many years ago when the debate came up on same sex union, not marriage, same sex union. And they said, well, it's fine, you know, they should have, you know, people should have the right to do what they want to do. And that led to same sex marriage. Oh, now we got something different. Now same sex marriage is okay too. Then we get to the point of transgenderism girls become boys become girls girls become boys and now we've gone to the far extreme that even children can be changed and it's accepted unfortunately by many people lies and deceptions of satan how he influences the culture and the church should never never be controlled by culture satan looks at many ways to spread deception among the people and seven, the wrong vision of the purpose of life is a strategy of deception that Satan promotes very, very effectively. And it seems that extremely few people are noticing this and trying to warn people about it. What is this ministry about? We're ministry and that, the warning message. Warning people, be careful. Don't fall into the lies and deceptions of Satan. For Satan is moving to deceive people in usually to get them to disobey God. So the sin of disobedience is what separates them from God and allows Satan to make them make us his servants. Isaiah 52 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Sin, disobedience, can take away of God's hearing your voice and answering your prayers. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn to fables. We must repent and not just teach love, grace, and mercy. Sin is the greatest problem in all creation, and it all started in the garden. And it was being disobedient to God. So that's where sin got started, disobedience. And Satan uses this all to deceive us. So what is sin? It is the transgression of God's law. It is disobedience to God's commandments. I've been telling people that, you know, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden, they were nude. No problem. It was beautiful to the Lord. But the second they sinned, and they hadn't told God yet, but they automatically put on clothes, so to speak, to cover up the sexual parts of their body. And then when God came met them, he went and slaughtered a lamb and put in a skins of an animal. So what are we doing today when we look at the advertisements, as we look at pornography it's it's taken the clothes off of women and sometimes men showing nakedness this is direct disobedience to God so when you see all this this people that are exposing themselves they're being disobedient to God do not fall prey to the disobedience of God you know the big word today is choice That is also a Christian thing. We have a choice. It's our choice. There's nothing wrong with the word choice. But the choice is, either you serve Satan, serve sin, or you serve God. You have two choices. That's all you have. And today, we see more of our focus on God's promises of prosperity and blessings as upon choosing to serve and obey Him. We'd rather have the blessings and the prosperity and not to choose to obey Him. And there's nothing wrong with prosperity. Christians should use their prosperity to get this gospel out, and God can use it in a mighty fashion. In modern Christianity, Christianity's focus is mainly, listen this, is mainly on God doing what we want Him to do for us, rather than for us doing what He wants us to do. In other words, we focus more on we want Him to do for us, rather than us doing what He wants us to do for Him. Deception leads to disobedience. And this is where we're headed today. There's another book that I would highly recommend, and that's Dr. Jonathan Hansen's book, The Science of Judgment. It's a must read in our culture today to understand where our culture's at and where we're headed. And a third book I'd like to mention to understand where we are at in American culture is Jonathan Kahn's book called The Return of the Gods. Believe it or not, that one is a bestseller because of the promotion that he has. But it's a tremendous book. It's well worth your reading. I believe that the church in general today has turned from trusting in the Lord and turned to trust in the self and His prosperity. In other words, we don't need God. Everything's going great. I've got everything I need. I don't need God. And this is about to change. Job says in Job thirteen fifteen, Though He slay me, yet I will trust in Him. Now that is dying to self. Though He slay me, I will trust in Him. Are we willing to trust Him even if our life is at stake? Have we really died to ourselves than to live to Him at all cost? Do we have the trust in the Lord, as David stated in Psalms 118, 6, 8, and 9? It is better to trust in the Lord that, than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than put confidence in princes. Interesting one about this verse, in many places they say this is the center verse of the Bible. It is better to trust in the Lord than in man. It's better to trust in the church than it is in the government. covid Government come up and said, put the mask on, got to have a shot, got to do all this stuff, which is proven now to be false. But the people did it. They trust more in the government than they do in the church. They said, hey, no, church, we're going to stay open. You come to church, we'll pray for you. If you get COVID, we'll pray for you. But a lot of churches closed down because of fear that they're going to get sick and they're going to die. What did the Lord say? Fear not, for I am with you. We as a church has got to wake up, folks. We got to wake up. Jesus Himself did not trust in man, but He did trust in His Father in Heaven. And we need to trust in Jesus as Jesus trusted in His Father. Understand our peace and joy always, always depends on our trust in the Lord. Do you have peace? Are you troubled? Change and put your trust in the Lord. Now, it sounds simple, but it takes a strong will to trust in the Lord, to trust in His promises. With total trust and confidence in the Lord, we will not have to keep trying to figure out what is the next step in our lives. Because we have entrusted Him for our lives. Our family and our future are in God's hands, believe it or not. They are in God's hands. Remember this by just saying I trust in the Lord completely, it's not enough. How many times do we say, I trust in the Lord? But it's not enough. I have to prove that I trust in the Lord over and over on a daily basis. The enemy will always, always attempt to destroy our trust in the Lord. Trust is a continuing aspect of our lives each and every day. Our trust must be renewed daily. For those who do totally trust in the Lord know what I mean. The enemy will constantly be attacking our trust. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in our lives, we have victory over the enemy. Is the enemy attacking your life? Is the enemy bringing doubt and questions into your mind? If so, maybe you're on the right path. Because God's bugging you because you are dangerous to him. He wants to kill people. You want to give people life. And he doesn't like that. And if you're not being attacked by the devil, I've got a question to ask you. Why is he leaving you alone? Could it be that you're not a danger to him? He's already got you. He has you under his control. Think about that seriously. In Nahum 1.7 states, The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows them that trust in Him. Let me read that again. He knows them that trust in Him. Because we trust in Him, He knows us, and He will see us through the trouble. I've got two possible closings, but I'm going to start and see how time goes. Anyway, the first one is, I'd like to share you know what, I think I'm going to do this one first. The other's going to be a personal experience in what I believe faith is through my experience as an airline pilot. But let me, just read, this is a devotion we did, my wife and I did last night by David Wilkinson. It says, My promise is all you need. Faith is very demanding. It demands that once we hear God's Word, we are to obey it. With no other evidence to direct us. It does not matter how big our obstacles are, how impossible the circumstances, we are to believe His Word and to act on it. With no other proof to go on, God says, My promise is all that you need. Like every generation before us, we also wonder, Lord, why am I faced with this test? It is beyond my comprehension. You have allowed so many things in my life to make no sense. Why is no explanation for what's going on, what I'm going through? Why is my soul troubled and filled with these trials? Hear me again. The demands of faith are totally unreasonable to humankind. So how does the Lord answer our cries? He sends us His Word, reminding of His promises, saying, simply obey me. Trust my Word to you. He accepts no excuse, no matter how impossible your circumstances may seem. Please do not misunderstand me. God is a loving Father, and He doesn't allow His people to suffer for no reason. We know He has at His disposal all the power and the willingness to make every problem and heartbreak go away. He can merely speak a word and rid us of trial and struggle. His word He can calm the raging sea, and a word He can move the mountains, as the song goes. Yet, in fact, is that God will not show us how or when He will fulfill His promise to us. That presents a problem. Why? He does not owe us any explanation when He has already given us the answer. He has given us everything we need in life, godliness in His Son. He is all, Jesus is all we need for every situation in life throws at us. God is going to stand on His word, He's not a liar. He has already revealed, you have my word within your reach. So, rest in my word, believe it, and obey it. In closing, I'd like to share with you an example from my career as an airline pilot for 32 years. What faith, trust, confidence, hope means in a physical realm. It also applies to the spiritual concept Both realms require experience and training. Both need dedication and knowledge. For those who know a little bit about flying, I'm gonna tell you about a trip I took from Portland to Seattle in a 757, an airplane totally equipped for Autoland capabilities. We know it as a zero, zero landing. And I'm gonna show you what faith is in instruments, faith in your training. We took off out of Portland, made a turn to departure. Departure says, hey, what do you need in Seattle to land in RVR, runway visual rain? How far you can see the runway? Uh, I says, uh, 300 feet. Oh, okay. And I looked at the co-pilot, he looked at me, and we started working. Because you've got to program all this. It has to be programmed. You have to program things. You have to know the Word of God. you got to program, be ready for it. And so we're ready for it. So we come back in, and it's only a 15 minute flight in the air, so you don't have a lot of time, but we've had the experience, we've had the training. So we come back in, we're turning around, coming in, and once again the controller says, what do you need for an RVR landing? Uh, I says 300, he said, continue the approach. Now once we start the approach, which is about two miles out, go down the guide slope and a localizer signal, and it guides us. Uh, once you do that, it's an auto land. It doesn't matter if it's zero, zero, you can continue down the land of the airplane. Now the strange thing about this one was, here we are in blue skies, at about 2,000 feet. At 1,000 feet, we're still in blue skies. The airport is totally fogged in. Now. Remember, you've got to have faith in your instruments. You've got to have faith in everything out there. The electronic signals, you've got to have faith in all of it. But we have ways to manage to see that, and that's the same with the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, it can guide you and direct you at all times. But you've to have that faith that, man, this is going to work. But then there's a little deception that comes in. At 200 feet, we're still, in the, we're still in the sky. Normally in the old airplanes, at 200 feet, you go around. If you can't see the ground, you go around. At Northwest, we were trained to 100 feet. And at 100 feet, we'd go around, just to make it a little bit Well, So here we are, 200 feet in clear skies, and the runway is not in sight. We're at 100 feet, <laughs> runway not in sight. Then we hit the clouds. Now the nice thing about it, there's approach lights out there, the flashing bright lights, really bright lights. It'd blind you if you looked at them but we can see it through the clouds, we can see it through the fog. So we know, aha, we're lined up. We're lined up, we're on the right path, so we don't have to worry about it. Then in this particular airplane, when you get 100 feet, it calls 100 feet, then at 50 feet, it says 50 feet. Now once again, we are not touching the controls of this airplane. We're putting all of our faith and confidence in the building of this airplane, the electronic signals, and how we've been trained. There's always still a possibility we could make a go-around if we have to. It's always that possibility. So you got that decision to make. But if you have the strong faith and confidence and everything's working good, you can continue. 20 feet, the engines come back to high, start to come back to high. 10 feet, we do not see the runway. We have gone into a zero-zero fog bank. But then all of a sudden, we see the centerline lighting. You can see the lighting leading you down the runway. We're lined right up with it perfectly. So we know we're going to be okay. Now, remember, in that particular auto land, when we touch down, the brakes automatically come on, the speed brakes automatically come up to slow the airplane down. We just have to reverse the engines. That's a manual thing. So we reverse the air, we come down, slow down, we're following that little white line. That's all you can see. And then it's turned green, while well, the green, you would follow the nose gear off and you turn off the runway. Then the green light stopped, we didn't see anymore. It's fog. And so we call the tower and says, we have to stop. We're at the end of the green lights, we cannot see anywhere to move any farther. So they said, we'll send, they're going to send out a tow tractor. That's a little thing, a little t- tugs and pulls the airplane in and out of the gates. And the tower says, do you see him?" I says, no. He says, they say they're right underneath the nose of the airplane, you can't see them. I says, no, but the fog bank moved out. All of a sudden, here's these guys standing on this thing with these little wads. I said, yeah, we got him in sight now, tell him he can turn around and we'll follow him in. And so we follow him all the way back into the gate. Faith, trust, hope, confidence. Now that was the first experience I had of actually, other than a simulator, of landing the airplane. But I just wanna make the point, you know, you get trained, you have the experience, and you trust in those instruments. Even though we got a backup, we do trust in them. Because if one goes down, you have to go around. You have to have both of them working. But anyway, think about faith, trust, confidence. I mean, that thing, we're coming around doing that, you had to have faith in the, in the airplane. You had to have faith in the equipment. You had to trust your equipment. And then you also have the ability to make a decision. Very much like faith, trust, and hope. Because if you do real true faith, you don't see the runway. You don't see what's out there. But you have the faith and trust that God will see you through that. And that. Now, I did, I did three auto lands, not that serious. But the other ones, the RBR, is much better. And so he actually saw the runway probably at about 100 feet. And a lot of those times, you weren't in clear skies, you were in the clouds all the way down. This last one was, that first one was really interesting because we weren't in the clouds. And that's, all of a sudden you hit the cloud. just really, it's really strange. But you keep your faith and your trust and your confidence and obey those instruments <laughs> until they tell you to do something different. I also flew the 747-400, that was at that time the biggest airplane and it was just a wonderful airplane to fly. I've been blessed that I was able to do that. But I did two more automatic landings in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. And now with the 747, you sit 45 feet in the air when the wheels touch, interesting. So we had to have a 600 RVR, it has to be. Now that's the runway visual range, got nothing to do with the cloud level, okay? It's how far you can see down the runway. I think if I could say on that auto land, it was a perfect, perfect landing. I only had one landing and I did manually, it would have been better. It sat that airplane down so nice, it was just unbelievable, almost to the point you say, might as well use this thing all the time if I can, because it does such a great job. But here in Seattle, you have another advantage. As you're coming down, the runway slopes down. And so the runway guy, if it slopes up, he hits a hard landing. Going down, smooth. And the only other one I can say is my first flight in the 747 as co pilot, I landed in, Seattle, in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, I didn't know I was on the ground. And the captain says, Can I pull a speed brake? I says, You want to get down? He says, EJ, you're on the ground. And the flight attendant came up with squirrely stares and said, I've never, never been in a landing like that. So I've had one perfect landing and a mini perfect landing by the airplane. I want to thank you folks for listening, and I hope this is encouraging to you. God bless.
0: Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International. And host, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs made for television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time Monday through Friday on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen.